Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. With episode 26, we're embarking on what I'm calling season 2 of this podcast. For the next several episodes, we'll be focused on the Reformers, men and women, but mostly men, who broke from the Catholic Church and contributed to the wildfire of religious reformation that swept Europe in the 16th century. We've already dipped our toes into the deep waters of this period, but now we're going to dive in headlong. And who better to kick off this season with than the ultimate reformer, Martin Luther himself. Now, there's a lot to cover with Luther, and it can be difficult to condense it all into a meaningful narrative, so I'm going to break up his life into three parts, and then throw in a couple of bonus episodes as well. Even at that, I will only scratch the surface of all there is to talk about. If you're interested in knowing more about Luther, I highly recommend the book Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World by Eric Metaxas. I especially recommend the audiobook, which is actually narrated by the author. It's a fascinating look into the life of one of the most influential men in world history. So without further delay, here we go. Martin Luther was born on November 10, 1483, in Eiselben, Germany, to parents Margaretha and Hans, who were domestic servants there. Shortly after Martin's birth, the family moved 10 miles to the town of Mansfeld. There, Martin's father entered the mining industry and eventually owned at least parts of several copper mines. Hans served on the city council and so was an important member of the community. Luther's family was Catholic, of course, but not particularly pious. There's nothing in his known family background to suggest that his upbringing led to his future position as leader of the Reformation. His father purchased indulgences. His mother was superstitious, as was most of the populace. One of Luther's primary remembrances of his childhood was the physical beatings that he received from both of his parents. They were very strict, but that was the norm for child-rearing at the time. Luther was one of nine siblings, of which five survived to adulthood. The family was doing well financially, but it never felt far from insolvency to young Luther, as the market ebbed and flowed. Hans did arrange for Martin to attend school and learn to read and write and do basic mathematics. He also put Martin in Latin school in 1501, and then sent him along to the University of Erfurt, where he wanted Martin to study law. Luther excelled in school and earned his baccalaureate and master's degrees by early 1505, which was as quick as the school would allow them to be gained. After completing his master's, he entered the school's law program. July 2nd of that same year turned out to be a fateful day for young Luther. He had taken a trip home to visit his parents and was walking the 50-plus miles back to Erfurt when a thunderstorm struck. Now, Luther was already an anxious man. He'd had a strict upbringing, as we said, and he had a great respect and fear of authority. He literally thought that God had sent that storm to take his life. As the rain lashed and the lightning flashed, he sought shelter, and he came upon a large granite rock. He took hold of it and he cried out, Help me, St. Anne, and I will become a monk. It turns out St. Anne is the patron saint of miners, and Luther, coming from a mining family, would have been quite familiar with her. 
His family probably had a shrine to her in their home, and they probably referenced St. Anne often. So it's natural that St. Anne should come to his mind. Luther lived through the storm, and true to his word, two weeks later he left his law studies and entered the Augustinian friary in Erfurt. His father was furious at this change. His schooling and law books, which he turned over to his friends, were very expensive and had been arranged to bring financial stability and security to the family. So Luther didn't choose the Augustinians by accident. In Erfurt, there were many different monasteries and friaries, but the Augustinian friary had the largest library and a focus on education. For 200 plus years, the Augustinians had held the professorship of theology at Erfurt University. The studious and intelligent Luther was therefore drawn there. A man called Johann von Staupitz played a large role in Luther's spiritual development. Von Staupitz was Luther's spiritual supervisor in the friary. As an Augustinian, Luther was taught that God's grace enabled him to do the work necessary to earn his salvation. This frightened Luther, who was convinced that his sins placed him beyond redemption. He constantly fasted, prayed, confessed, and did good deeds, but he was always in fear of damnation. Luther later wrote, When I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost fifteen years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fasting, vigils, prayers, and other rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my works. Luther would spend hours in the confessional, confessing every sin that he could think of, real or imagined. And he'd often return to reconfess the same sins, fearing that he hadn't been sorry enough about them the first time. His understanding of God was as a harsh judge only. He missed out on Christ as a loving, forgiving Savior. He said of the soul, When it is touched by this passing inundation of the eternal, the soul feels and drinks nothing but eternal punishment. Luther went to confession so often that at one point von Staupitz, who was his usual confessor, told him, Brother Martin, why don't you go out and commit some real sins, and come back when you have something to confess? Luther worked as hard as he could to secure God's favor, but he could never shake the distress that he felt. Years later, he wrote, If ever a monk could get to heaven by his monkery, it was I. On the more positive side of things, it was at Erfurt Friary where Luther first beheld the complete Bible. It was there that he began to read and teach from it. Much of the religious instruction at the time focused not specifically on the Bible itself, but on commentaries or documents from the church. For example, students would memorize and discuss Peter Lombard's Book of Sentences, but not know the Bible that it itself commented on. But at Erfurt, Luther had the chance to read and teach directly from the Bible. In April 1507, Luther was ordained as a priest, and in May, he was assigned his first Mass. Luther's family came to observe. They had gotten over their anger at his leaving law school, and his father brought 20 horsemen in his retinue and made a large gift to the friary. The occasion was anything but joyous for Luther, however. As Luther approached the altar to begin the service, he froze with fear. In Luther's own words, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken. I thought to myself, with what tongue shall I address such majesty, seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince? Who am I 
that I should lift up mine eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty. The angels surround him. At his nod, the earth trembles. And shall a miserable little pygmy say, I want this? I ask for that? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin, and I am speaking to the living eternal and the true God. He did get through the service, but only with fear and trembling. In 1510, Luther was sent to Rome on von Staupitz's advice. His elders wanted to know what to do with this overzealous friar. It was thought that a trip to Rome would rejuvenate his faith. He'd have a chance to see some holy relics and earn indulgences for himself. If you aren't familiar, indulgences were promises from the Catholic Church that were given in exchange for some service or donation that would reduce or even eliminate a person's time spent in purgatory. The Pope would take merit from the Church's treasury of merit that was filled by the saints and Christ, and he would give it to believers to cover their sins. But the plan to send Luther to Rome backfired. When he got there, he saw excess everywhere. People, even priests of the church, lived in utter and open sin. The relics did nothing to encourage his faith. He even visited the Scala Sancta, which are supposed to be the very same steps that Christ ascended when he met with Pontius Pilate. It was said that if you climbed those steps, you would earn an indulgence for yourself. So he dutifully did so, praying and kissing each step as instructed. Far from reassuring him, however, this act only filled him with further doubts. When he reached the top, all he could say was, Who knows whether this is true? His doubts about his own salvation began to extend to doubts about the church and its teachings. After his return to Erfurt, Luther, who had been instructed to study theology, completed his doctorate and was given a professorship at the new University of Wittenberg in 1512, succeeding von Staupitz there. Here he lectured on the scriptures, specifically the Psalms, Galatians, Hebrews, and Romans. Close reading and study of these books would prove crucial to the direction Luther's life was soon to take and to the course of world history. He began to believe that God gave righteousness to those that believed, that it wasn't earned, but it was a gift. Humility wasn't a virtue that earned grace, but rather a response to grace freely given. Salvation didn't come through the sacraments, but rather through faith, which the sacraments reinforced. In short, he began to completely flip and reject the teachings of the Catholic Church through his own study of the Bible on its own. He was interpreting the Bible in light of the Bible, rather than in light of the Church's teachings. This change set off a chain reaction that would ignite the fires of Reformation in Europe. And that's where we'll leave the story of Martin Luther. We'll continue next time with Luther's response to the sale of indulgences and all that that birthed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.